Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Our text this morning is found in the book of Judges, of Judges. It's about Joshua, but it's in the book of Judges. Uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Some of this you can read in Joshua, but the detail and the depth in Judges is significant. The other thing that's significant about Judges, and we're talking about discerning the times, is that in the book of Judges, there are seven cycles of sin that the people of God go through. And that cycle, as we'll see when we get into the the text today, begins with this generation. What a responsibility. And I believe God wants us to know as the church, which is his agency in the earth to get things done, the vessels that are in the body of Christ represent the agency on earth that are ambassadors for heaven. And so I think it's important for us to understand and discern the times so that we can do according to the will of God. Joshua, I mean Judges, excuse me, 2 verse 1 through 6. It reads, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why? Have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. A snare is a trap. God is saying, don't fall into that trap. So it was. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum. And they sacrificed there to the Lord And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. There are many, many things in this text, and time won't permit us to unpack them all, but I want to focus on a few essential things. First of all, there was a voice from heaven that they all heard. That is more challenging to do when you live in a culture that espouses rugged individualism. Individualism, where people choose not because they just want to be by themselves, but we are indoctrinated in Western culture to be individualistic. That's why unity is hard, because it's about me. If you, want, if you ask people to pray in a group, you, will, you might hear, no, 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 I pray. I pray by myself. Where the power 
in the first century church was in the people coming together. That's when the foundation shook. It's different in the East than it is in the West. I want to draw some, some lines and some parallels here. But the scripture says here that all the people heard this. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, I know that this is the will of God for his church because Jesus in the final revelation says, he that has an ear to hear, let them hear what the spirit is saying unto the church. It's not about the individual, even the spirit of God. The spirit of God comes upon you and me so that others can see God. It comes in you to sanctify you. So the God in you comes to sanctify you, but the God that is upon you is for somebody else to see. That's why Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I pray that the spirit of God would come upon you so that others can see God, the God that surrounds you, the God that goes before you, the God who's got your back. That's the God that we want the world to see. And these people who had disobeyed God. They had done things that God told them not to do. And the Lord said, why have you done this? Don't you know that this is not good for you? I want the best for you, but you've chosen these other things. But when they heard the voice of God, like one person, like one man, like one woman, they lifted their voices and they wept. The tears of repentance. And they went back to God. And then Joshua releases them. After the people together wept and after the people together repented, he released them. And there's some really, that last verse has a very important thing. And this is where there's slippage. There was slippage then. And because of the culture we live in, we're at risk of slippage in our generation. It says, and when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So everybody went their own way. They did their own thing. They weren't a supportive community you then can fall back. You can fall back to the place that you just repented from. They went into the land which was seen as victory. I got mine. I've done the will of God. I'm finished. God has brought me into a large place. He promised that I would possess the land. I've possessed it. And now I'm good. I'm good. You good? Yep. I'm good. You good? We good. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Because there's somebody who's coming behind us. And let, let's unpack this a little bit further. I want you to know that there's a, a time. This is our time to live out. God is searching the hearts of people to find someone who will live out Joel 2 and 17. Here's what the prophet Joel said, and this relates to Bochum. Bochum means a place of weeping. God brought the children of Israel to a place of weeping, and they repent and turn their hearts back to God, but then they went their own ways, and they were satisfied with possessing the land. Joel 2 and 17 says, let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage, your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where 
is their God. The prophet was calling those who covered the people, those who were leading the people spiritually to pray, to weep between the altar and the porch, stand between heaven and earth and cry out to God for the people, not, not just you and yours, not just because you've got yours, it's not over, the battle's not over, but cry out so that God's heritage, God's people will be covered, will be protected, weep between the altar and the porch. In other words, you need to care about this. You need to care about the people of God as deeply as God does. And you need to pray specifically so that no one who names the name of Christ is found in a position where the people around them have to ask the question, where is their God? There are people in America today who look at the Christian church and say, where is their God? There are things that appear so out of sorts with so much division and so much vitriol where there are people who are biting and devouring each other. I was at a, a meeting the other day on Thursday downtown at the Union League, and one of the, the, the principal speaker was a man by the name of Stephen. He, he's out of North Carolina. He works for the Billy Graham organization. And he said, in my lifetime, I've never seen the church this divided. And he had a troubled look on his face. Said, I've never seen the church this divided in all my days. And he began to talk about some of the things that they are trying to do to bring the body of Christ together. And it got me curious. So later on, I looked up uh, Franklin Graham and I saw that he tweeted something. And he, he simply said this. He said, according to what I read in the book of Luke about the Good Samaritan, I believe that Jesus would approve of us taking the vaccine. He knows that's a very controversial thing. He said, I believe that Jesus would approve. He said, based on what I read there. And out of his millions of followers, people started firing. And they said, Lord, open his eyes. Others called him all kinds of things that a person who they revere enough to follow on social media, he said something that they thought was out of line with their particular stance, and they turned on him just like that. Where's the honor? Where's the respect? No, no, it's not about that. It's about my point of view. It's time for those who are in leadership to weep between the altar and the porch because only God can heal those kinds of divides. Only God can do that. And so I believe that God is searching for those who are ready, who are willing and ready and have a heart for those who are outside, who think they're in the tent, but they're really outside because it's their individual views. We need to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. It's not about where one stands on this or that issue. What is heaven saying? Lord, what would you have me to do? I want to be able to discern the times, not go with opinions, not go to the right or to the left, not to follow this one or that one. I want to follow Jesus. Where you lead, that's where I want to follow. I want to be a part of a generation who's, who seeks after God. God so hard that they will not stray. They will only be like the same Joshua that we're reading about in Judges who stood before the people and said, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. No matter what you choose to do, I'm going to serve the Lord. So I, like Joshua, stand before you today 
saying that the Lord desires for his people to run after him as the deer pants for the water. That's how our souls should thirst for God. Are you thirsty for God? Are you so thirsty for him that nothing else can quench your thirst? Nothing else can satisfy. Let's go a little deeper into Judges. Verses 7 through 10. I want to show you where the Joshua generation, which is the generation that has been revered throughout history as the one that's successful. That's the one I want to emulate. But there's something that the Moses generation did that was more successful than the Joshua generation. And here's what God is saying to this generation. I don't want you to do one and leave the other. I would that you would be successful to both. I want you to enter into that place that I prepared for you on earth. But I also want you to bring with you those, of, those that are behind you because that is your responsibility. Let me try to make that plain. Joshua set two judges, excuse me, judges two, seven through 10. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Just real quickly on verse seven, while Joshua was present in the flesh as a leader, God was with him, but so were the people. And so while Joshua was alive, the spiritual climate was good. Because even when the people repented, as we just read, Joshua gathered the people together. The people repented because of Joshua's leadership and example, and he brought them together. But when he dismissed them, they went to their own place. Now when Joshua dies, who's going to bring them together? You remember what Moses, what Joshua said when Moses died? He's like, who's going to go up for us? God said, send Judah first. You begin to praise me and I'll show you the way. New covenant, I hear the spirit of God saying, this is a season for us to praise God. In spite of all this stuff, you praise him and he's going to show us the way out. Send Judah first. Somebody type in the chat, this is a season to send Judah first. Joshua was confused. He didn't know what to do. He was young. He felt unprepared. And God said, send Judah first. And then he had to encourage Joshua. He said, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. But as long as Joshua was alive, when the people sinned, when they lost the battle to Ai, Joshua was able to intercede, go to God and say what's wrong. God said there's sin in the camp. They cleaned it up and they had victory. But now Joshua and the elders, those who were connected with him, who knew God, who saw the ways of God, who saw the acts of God, those stories died with them. Why is that a problem? Let's read a little further. Let's put up verse 8. Verse 8 reads, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. Verse 9. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath, Hares, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. Verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Therein lies the problem. When Joshua was alive and the elders who served with him, the spiritual climate was such that when the people strayed, they always came back. Now, 
And that's why I believe Jesus, when he rebuked the religious community of his day, he said, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the times. That's about, and he focused on climate. The spiritual climate in our city, in our nation, and in our world, God wants us to discern it. But not just so that we can go into our own place, but if we are to carry out the mandate of heaven, the generations that follow us will also know God. And when I look at the trends in the church today, and I look at this text, I say, God, I see what you're saying. God, I hear your voice in this. God, we hear your voice. God, we see what you are saying. The trends are troubling at the number of young people who don't want anything to do with the church. The good news is they haven't abandoned God they just, when they look at the church, this is what they say according to research. They see hatred. They see bigotry. They see division. They see intolerance. They don't see things that are good. They think that goodness is lacking in the church, especially Generation Z. Somewhat true in millennials. Millennials are getting a little bit older, but Gen Z, for certain, they don't want anything to do with it. I, I had the privilege this week to meet a person. Her name is Grace. And she's a part of a ministry. Uh, it's called the Block Church. And their vision in the city of Philadelphia is revival on every block. Revival on every block. And as I was talking to her, she said, you know, I have, there are two pastors, because they they're opening up churches everywhere. Their goal is to have revival on every block. And in her church, the pastor is 22 years old. And another one of their churches, the pastor is 24. So I was like, hmm, that's, that's pretty interesting. She's 32 years old, and she said, I'm the oldest one in the church. I'm the oldest one, and I'm 32. And she said, the thing that blows my mind is that we are so empowered. She said, you know, we wouldn't trust a 22-year-old pastor, but he's married. And the 24-year-old is also married, so they're committed. Even though they're young, they're committed. I thought, hmm, that's interesting that that's their focus. And she started to tell me stories about how they evangelize and disciple. That's their two-pronged approach, evangelism, evangelism and discipleship. So this generation is being ministered to in the block church in a way that's yielding fruit and results and results. And as I was talking to her, I was so blessed by hearing the stories. She told me a story about a person who was a little standoffish, who she was witnessing to. And the person, as she talked about Jesus, the person said, I don't want to talk about my higher power because that brings division, it brings judgment. And she was good with that. She just went on and continued to talk to the person. And she said a few days later, she wasn't expecting this. She got a call from that person. The person was weeping. And she said, I watched the way I've been watching you, and I watch the way you talk about your Jesus. She said, can you tell me how to get these Jesus, this Jesus? She said, I didn't want to speak on my higher power because I didn't want to disappoint anyone else, but I now know that this Jesus will never disappoint me. This Jesus will never make me ashamed. I've seen enough. Can you tell me how I can get this Jesus? And the person fell on their face and she led that young lady to Christ. And I'm like, what, what unlocked that? She said, young people don't come to God because of truth. She said, because when they look around, they don't see that 
when they witness what is supposedly the church. He said, what draws young people is goodness. They want to see goodness. They want to know, is it good for the world? Is it good for me? And I know that based on my personal doctrinal beliefs, I would lead with truth because it's like, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth. He is the way. That's my point of view, but they're looking at a church where they don't see that because everybody who says they're a part of the church isn't the church. Everybody who claims to be a Christian isn't a Christian. When you are really a Christian, you are like a member of the Antioch church where the people saw them and said, they are Christians. They've been with Jesus. When the Spirit of God is upon you, you don't have to talk about who you are. He'll show up. People will know it. And when that young lady saw goodness, they were drawn to it. And I, I started to think about it. And as I pondered, God started to open stuff up. As it's written in, in Romans, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? And I thought, Lord, these young people are on to something. They see something. They're looking for goodness. And when you seek, what happens? You find. And now there are a bunch of young people in the city where God's goodness is running after them. His goodness is running after them. The goodness and mercy are following them because they sought it out. I don't want to live in a time where a generation after me, the generation that follows, falls away. In the church in America, the average age of the church is 20 years older than the average age of the population, and in some churches, it's wider. I don't want to be like Joshua. It appears that it's successful because we go our own way. We're in our bubbles. We're in our cocoons. So it feels good where we are. God told me before I stood up, one of the reasons for making you uncomfortable is so that you remember that you always need me. And for you to understand the value of sacrifice and service is it's more important than your comfort. It is more important than your comfort. There are things that are enduring. They missed that which endures. Joshua was successful as long as there was breath in his lungs. But when he was called from labor to rest, there grew up a generation who didn't even know God. How can that happen? They didn't even know God. In Moses' generation, the generation failed. They wandered for 40 years. They never entered in, but their children knew God. Their children entered into the land. I want my children to know God. I want your children to know God. I want people, young people to know they have a voice. I want our young people to grow up letting no one despise their youth. But we got to release them. What I heard happening in the block church excited me because those young people have a voice and they're begetting. Gen Z begets Gen Z. It doesn't just have to be according to the myopic view of one generation. God is the God of all generations and I believe that's where the Joshua generation missed it. They were successful in that. They entered into the land. But they didn't even get the best part, which was Jebus. And David was the one who entered into Jebus. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. But Joshua and his generation did well to get into Canaan. But the generation behind them did not know God. They were illiterate. And a lot of the problems that we're having is because too many young people don't know God. They know all these other things, but they don't know God. What is it that God requires of us? 
his goodness that those young people want is expressed in Romans 2 and 4, as well as Jeremiah 31 and 3, where it says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. He draws with loving kindness, not with vitriol, not with judgment. It is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. You want people to know God? There was a time when God winked at ignorance. But in these last days, he's calling all to repentance. And repentance comes through the goodness of God. And I realized that those young people are on to something. The question is, are we giving it to them? The more we give, we give it, the more young people will come. I don't want to be successful in my time for me and those who share the same space. I want the generations to come to rise up and call us blessed. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9, Here's what God said to the people. Here's what God said to his people. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Did Joshua do that? Moses did, but Joshua didn't. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Verse 8 says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. In other words, I don't want you ever to forget this. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. It's going to guide you. Verse 9, the last verse, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When you go out and when you come in, you are to see this and be reminded you need to put this in your children. You need to deposit this. You need to make this a priority. As we discern the times, I want to submit to you, beloved, that we're on the precipice of changing history. God is looking for some people who would weep between the altar and the porch for the generation that is to come so that there would be a reversal in the falling away and a coming in, a running, running, so that the goodness of God can run after them. There is actually in Barna research of Gen Z because they wanted to understand better why is this happening? What is the phenomenon? Why have they totally stopped having any interest in any affiliation with church? For the first time in more than 100 years in this country, there are more people who are non-affiliated with any organized religious faith, any, than those who are. In the past, majority were Christians, and then you had Jews and others and Muslims. But now that trend has reversed, and it's been led by young people. But what they want to see is goodness. They want to see something that's good for the world, something that's good for them. And guess what happens when they experience, when they see and experience goodness, they get a revelation of truth. They get a revelation of truth, so they get it. They actually get what God has for them, and actually it's biblically right that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So could it be that God is putting something in their heart so that they might receive him aright, and when they get him, they won't be tossed to and fro. They won't leave, and when they walk, 
What they will be an expression of is the goodness of God. That's a great witness because when people see that as they saw it in Antioch, they knew they had been with Jesus. They don't know that I've been with Jesus when I'm walking in a way that is something that they can't relate to. Speaking to them in verses, verses letting them see the goodness of God and sensing that God is real. That's when the truth is revealed. That's when their heart is open. That's when, like that young lady, they say, I want this Jesus. I've seen enough. I know he'll never disappoint me. I know he won't be like my perceptions of what I see. He's real. He's authentic. He's the real thing. There's nothing like the real thing. It's this Jesus that the world is craving. It's this Jesus that the world is longing for. And like the Joshua generation, we want the climate, the spiritual climate, to be good in our time. But unlike the Joshua generation, we want it to remain good, actually to get better when we're no longer off the scenes. Because here's what we know. That from now on, those who die in the Lord, their works do follow them. And because of that revelation, their works follow them. I want, just like the goodness of God will run after the generation behind us, I want the works to follow me. I want the works to follow you. It is the will of God in this generation and in this time that the goodness of God be revealed and be released. I have always thought of the Joshua generation as the successful generation, as the model. And I've read these verses many, many times, but there's something about discerning the times. There's something about seasons and times where you can read the same thing for a thousand times and have understanding every time. But when you enter into a certain Kairos moment, God will reveal what's necessary for that time. That is the unsearchable riches of Christ and the word of God. For every season and every time, there is a word. And as we are discerning the times, God is saying the generations, the generations that are behind you need to catch up. I've got some, some people that I'm raising up. You just need to understand that the way to reach them is not the same as the way that you were reached. The things that used to be conventional have become unconventional. The methods that worked in the past won't work today. And God will show us what to do. God will guide us, God will teach us. All we have to do is release the power of God to the generation that is to come, and then they will do the work. See, I'm raised in a generation where hard work gets it done. So my core belief is that if it's going to get done, I've got to do it. Is there anybody out there who's like me? But God is saying, no, 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 no. The way to do it is to release it. And they, when they have a voice, and when they know they're heard, they will go and evangelize and disciple in ways that you don't even have the energy to do, but you have to be able to release it. And there's something about release, beloved, that makes you feel that you are diminished. But in the kingdom of God, that's not true. The more I release, the more I get. The more virtue that goes out, the more virtue that is restored. There is no diminishing in the kingdom of God. There's only growth when we do it God's way. I hope you're hearing the spirit of, the God, of God today. Whoever has an ear to hear, let them hear what the spirit is saying unto the church. We're entering into a season where God is going to begin to speak to his people in a way that is prophetically authentic. Because the Bible says that this thing, prophecy is, of not, is not of any private interpretation. But holy men of old spoke as the Spirit of God gave utterance. And just like 
the example of the children of Israel when they all heard the word. That's the way it's going to be. It's not just one personality. It's not of any private interpretation. Authentic prophetic utterance always comes with confirmation. Always comes with confirmation. I'm going to review with you next week the 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 discernment practices, which I think was about a month or two ago that we went over those. There were five. And the last one is confirmation. God always confirms his word. The other thing that you can rely on is that God confirms the word of his servant. I'm reminded of Elijah. When he went on the mountain to challenge the prophets of Jezebel, he didn't pray about it not raining. He just spoke it. He said it's not going to rain for three years and six months. And exactly what he said happened because God confirmed his word. And I'm telling you, we're living in a season that you will know that it's of God. You will know it's from heaven because the word is going to be confirmed and it's going to be confirmed. The cycles of confirmation are coming so quickly. The relationships that you enter into, you will know that they're divine. The things that come across, I hear stuff from everywhere. Things that you don't go looking for spiritual things if you pay attention. If you have ears to hear, God is always speaking. I'm learning it's not hard to pray without ceasing because God is all around. He's always speaking if you pay attention. But if we're like a generation who goes to their own, while they were gathered together, they heard the voice of God. Then they went to their own, their own ways. I never want to exit the presence of God and the people of God. I want to be connected. I want to be connected. What about you? Because when we are, God can do what only God can do in the midst of his people when there are yielded vessels, especially those who hear him. We don't fight when we hear from God because the instructions guide us. But when I'm listening to this person or that person or I'm taking this stance or this point of view, that's how schisms enter in. That's why the devil doesn't want us to hear from heaven because he doesn't want the land to be healed. He wants the enemies of God and the enemies of the people of God to say, where is their God. Devil, I got news for you. God is working. He never stopped working. He's still working. He's always working because he that keeps his church doesn't slumber nor sleep. That God is always, he's still on the throne and he's doing what only he can do. And God is interested in every generation. And he's calling us, beloved, to pour in, to pour out, to bring along so that we do not leave our work undone. He's saying, don't leave your work undone. You need to be Moses and Joshua together in your generation. Have great leadership while you're here. Let me tell you the consequence of the Joshua generation. I talked about the seven cycles of sin. And if you believe the, the definition of some theologians, and I think it's probably close to a consensus, that a generation is measured in 40 years because of the children of Israel wandering. And the Bible says that generation died. And then Joshua's generation rose up and they entered in. That means that the, the neglect of the Joshua generation, the neglect of the Joshua generation led to 10 generations of cycles of sin. Because for 400 years, there were judges. There wasn't a prophet, there wasn't a king, until the king of kings showed up on the scenes. 
for 400 of years, 400 years. So their neglect of their generation impacted 10 generations. How much more would heaven rejoice if in our generation we impact 10 generations that follow for good? Which do you want to be a part of? And God is saying we need to, the, the Old Testament is written for our learning and for our instruction, for our learning and our admonition, which means for us to be instructed. Uh, my prayer is that we would all be instructed today and that we would do the kinds of things in our time, in our ministry, in our part of the vineyard that would cause someday this place to overflow, to overflow with the voices of young people, with the voices of young families where their children are overflowing and we need more space and they're hearing the word of God and it's being reinforced and just as God told his people to do everywhere they go they're seeing it because there are things that are being reinforced in their minds that are shaping them and it's not shaping their character in the way that God would have it shaped it is not shaping their behavior and their relationships in the way that God would have them to shape because the only way that that can be done is by us obeying the word of God and having them first on our hearts and then imparting them to our children. And that's not just our birth children. It's all of our children because all of God's children, we are all God's children. And generationally, we want them to be strong. We want them to know God, to be strong, and to do exploits. That's what we want. We want to build up the body of Christ. We want to fortify the body of Christ, not just for now, but for the generations to come. If you agree with that, and if you're with me, I need you to chat right now that God will raise up a generation that will rise up and call us blessed because of the seeds that we sow. I want to end with this, and then I want to pray with you. I had this vision of a farmer who was sowing seeds, and God showed me how the climate is so important. And it's a way to instruct us as to how to pray, how to pray aright. And in, when a farmer sows seed, at the time that the seed is sown, you want light rain. Spiritually, the Bible calls it the former rain because the seed has to settle into the soil and take root, not too much. And sometimes, as the church, we've made the mistake of calling for the latter rain, which washes the seed away. That's the heavy rain. You, there are certain cycles. In the time of planting, you want the light rain. In the time of harvest, you want the latter rain. And we've been spiritually not discerning the time and the seed has been getting washed away. I hope you can see this. There's been so much seed that's washed away and it ends up on the wayside. God is saying it's time for his people to discern the time so that we know how to pray. And that's how the generations are going to come in. Not by talking, but by us praying aright and then by us demonstrating the goodness of God. Because when they see the goodness of God, they come running. I want that Jesus because that Jesus will never make me ashamed. That Jesus didn't, doesn't point his finger in my chest. That Jesus loves me. He embraces me. And so I understand now that it is the goodness of God. 
it, it is his love. The love of God constrains me to do good because I thus judge. If Christ died for all, then all were dead. I now know that I was in that same person who was offended by you calling them a sinner will see it and say, if Jesus died for everybody, I too was dead and now he made me alive. I've been bought with a price. The gospel comes out of them. It comes out of them because God does it. And so I believe God is going to alter the way his church prays so that we know what season it is. We know what time it is. We know when we need the former rain and we know when we need the latter rain so things can take root and they can grow up and be healthy and whole. And that's how society changes. My prayer and my prophetic voice going out into the atmosphere says, God, arrest the murdering spirit and draw the murderer. Because if God transforms the murderer, the murderer will never murder again. God has the, God is able to change the hearts of people. The climate spiritually has to change. The climate has to change. When that changes, the hearts change. And when the hearts change, the people change. When the people change, society changes. We got to get to the root of the thing. It's not about more government funds. It's not about any of those things. I'm not saying that those things are not useful, but that's not what's going to turn it around. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.